Welcome to the Freedom Formula Podcast with your host, Marjean. The Freedom Formula simplifies real estate investing so that anyone can learn about how to gain time and financial freedom through real estate. Each week, you will find helpful tips and tricks and strategies from the top producers in the real estate investing industry. Let's get started with the Freedom Formula Podcast. Welcome to the Freedom Formula Podcast. I'm your host, Marjean. Today we are speaking with Mauricio Raul. Mauricio has over 19 years of experience in securities laws, and he's actually been doing syndications for the last 12 years. Welcome, Mauricio. Thanks for coming. Well, thanks for having me, Marjean. Really appreciate it. No problem. So let's just go ahead and get into it. Tell me a little bit more about your business. Tell us what you do and kind of give an explanation of what a syndication really is. Yeah, so I'm the founder and CEO of Premier Law Group, and we are exclusively a syndication law firm. So we, 100% of our practice is syndication. Uh, And what that is, is essentially we represent uh, real estate investors primarily who are looking to scale their businesses that they've been investing in real estate for X amount of years, and they're ready to go do bigger deals, which usually means uh, scaling up to multifamily. Uh, But uh, an interesting thing happens when you're a real estate investor, and at some point you run out of your own money. Uh, and so at that point, you've got two options. You can either stop investing and just say, hey, look, I'm out of money. I've got to wait until I can save some more money or liquidate some of my properties. Or you can go out and use OPM or other people's money and raise money from the marketplace in order to facilitate your next purchase of a bigger deal. And so a syndication in its most simplest form is really the pooling of resources. And most of people think of money as the main resource, but it could also be other resources like your time or your credit or your relationships or your knowledge or, or obviously your capital. But essentially you pool that, those resources with other people so that you can actually scale your business. Uh, and probably the easiest example of a, just a really simple syndication, for example, is you can, let's say you're looking to buy a property that's worth $100,000. Again, I'm just using this as an example, but you can, get, uh, you can go out there and get four of your friends or four people, four investors that each putting you know, $25,000 each so you can get to your $100,000 and then you do all the work. So you're putting in your time and your knowledge and your expertise and you split the profits five ways. So that's a very simple syndication, and uh, but that's essentially what it is. It's the pooling of resources in order to do bigger and better deals, whether it's real estate, whether it's businesses, whether whatever the, whatever it is that you want to invest in. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I get a lot of questions on what exactly is a syndication. I think that's the best explanation I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people think syndication, the radio syndications or uh, you know the TV syndications, reruns of popular shows, but uh, syndication is the, the is an investment term. I love it. And, you know, a lot of times people really don't realize in real estate, you know, the reason why people are able to gain that time and financial freedom is because of leverage. They're either, like you said, leveraging other people's money or other people's time. So when you do that, though, like we do, there's a lot of regulations that go into these syndications. Obviously, it's monitored by the SEC. So Mauricio, can you kind of talk about those different regulations and exemptions and how to best appropriately go about this the most legally, ethically, and morally way? Yeah, well, let's start, let's start by figuring out why, why the SEC and why the securities laws are even involved, especially for those of you who are buying real estate, which again, is most of the people in my world. But even if you're buying a business, you know, why is the SEC breathing down your neck and why do they care that you're buying a piece of property? Um, and the reason is most people think of a security sort of as, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, you know, maybe even promissory notes or what have you. But the SEC actually defines the, a security much broader. 
uh, and it includes things that you may not think of as a security, like, for example, a tenants in common agreement, a TIC agreement, or maybe a profit sharing agreement or a side agreement uh, or, or what have you. Uh, and all of those are, by definition, securities. And the way I like to sort of give the cheat sheet for it is, is essentially anytime you are collecting money from investors where the returns are generated by your efforts, then you are dealing with a security. And the actual structure itself, whether it's in a corporation, an LLC, a contract, a TIC agreement, whatever, it does not matter. Uh, what matters is whether your investors are essentially passive, giving you money, you're generating the returns from your efforts and then giving them a return. Um, and so that's why real estate, uh, no matter what format you use, whether it's through an LLC or through a TIC agreement, a TIC agreement, or a joint venture, or whatever structure you want to come up with, that's why the SEC is involved. And not only the SEC, which is the federal level, but also we do have to uh, worry a little bit about the states. Uh, every time you sell uh, a, piece of, uh, a piece of the action, so to speak, to one of the investors, then uh, we have to file something in the state where that investor resides. Um, so that's why the securities laws are involved. And as I like to remind people is once, once you're, you recognize that you're dealing with a security, there's really only three things you need to worry about. And that, that number one is you either need to register that syndication or that security with the SEC, or number two, you need to find an exemption to registration, which is what you were talking about alluding to, uh, Marjean, or number three, it's illegal. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know how much time you want to get into the illegal stuff and the, and the registration, but essentially we, we try and avoid, we definitely avoid trying to do legal, illegal syndications, obviously. I hope nobody's out there uh, thinking of defrauding investors or misrepresenting, but, but it goes a little bit further than that. I mean, it just fail, failure to disclose certain things, failure to have the proper documentation, those all can consider it an illegal offering. Uh, but even the registration part, you want to stay away from registration because it just takes forever and it costs a bunch of money. And so we're always looking for exemptions to registration, which is why you prompted your question. Um, and that's the world that I live in. We're always looking to find one of the exemptions. And unfortunately for us, there's a couple of exemptions that are the most popular that probably 90 to 95 percent of the people use. Uh, and those are these infamous Reg D or Regulation D exemptions. And specifically, and this is probably as technical as we'll get today. Uh, rule 506B is in boy and also rule 506C is in Charlie. Awesome. And usually we hang out in the rule 506B. Um, that allows you to bring in some sophisticated investors opposed to accredited. And we're not going to get too much into detail on that. But the question that I always get from everybody is, well, what happens if you don't file? You know, what, what, what happens if? What is the punishment in case you do it yeah. wrong or if you don't do it at all? Yeah, well, if you don't register or find an exemption, then you're engaged in illegal securities offerings. And the main penalty or the main um, uh, punishment, if you want to call it that, if you, don't, um, if you don't follow the securities laws, is essentially you're guaranteeing the investment of your investors. Uh, meaning if they invest, let's say, $100,000 into one of your deals, and you've done an illegal offering, either you failed to register, you failed to find an exemption, or you did something else that's, that's a no-no, then the SEC or the states will require you to not only return all of the money to the investors, uh, but also pay them interest. Uh, and that, that's the case whether it's your fault or not. And, and a good example of that obviously is, is the 2007, 2008, or maybe I should say 2008, 2009 uh, major correction that we had. A lot of people lost money in real estate deals or any deals, uh, and it wasn't necessarily the fault of the, uh, the, the, the syndicator or the promoter. Um, things just went sideways, you know, financing dried up, 
But if that person had done an illegal offering, even though the actual cause of the losses may not have been their fault, the fact that they did an illegal offering essentially uh, entitles the investors to get all of their money back plus interest. And so it's a pretty severe penalty. In addition to obviously, you'll, you'll probably get sanctioned either at the federal level or at the state level and be prohibited from raising money uh, in those states again in the future. So um, it's, it's a pretty, pretty dire uh, circumstances. You know, jail time is probably not in the cards unless you're doing something fraudulent. I mean, obviously, the Bernie Madoffs of the world end up in jail because they're defrauding their investors and they're they're intentionally misrepresenting or they're just, you know, just doing something flat out fraudulent. Um, so hopefully none of your listeners will thinking about doing that. And so you can avoid the jail time. But I think the guarantee is, is obviously nobody's in the business of guaranteeing investments. All investments carry risk and sometimes things don't work out. And in fact, if you this, if you do this long enough, one of your deals is going to go sideways and, and you are going to lose some money. And that's just part of the deal, part of the being a, a real estate syndicator. Uh, and that's okay. I mean, that's what happens. As long as you're doing your job, you should be okay. But if you're doing your job and you do an illegal offering, then you're going to be in a world of hurt, even though you may not have done anything else wrong. So that being said, what is the major mistakes that you see when new people come in and they're doing the syndications? I think the major, uh, there's really, I, I think of three major mistakes. And in, in fact, I just, just put out a video on this. Uh, the first mistake, especially first time syndicators make, uh, or actually even seasoned, uh, that maybe haven't been advised properly, is not recognizing or not realizing that they are in fact issuing securities. And so for some reason, a lot of people try and get creative and they say, hey, look, if I do it this way or I do it that way, I'm gonna get around the securities laws. And a great example of this is this either, let's just use the TIC arrangement, which is a popular one. So people say, hey, I'm not raising money in, into an LLC or into a corporation or into some kind of a fund. My investors are direct owners of the property, right? And we, we're all, you know, we're, we're all having a percentage of the property. We've got a TIC or a TIC agreement, a tenancy in common agreement. And somehow that, you know, because of that structure, we avoid the securities laws or, hey, I'm going to do a loan. And because it's loan and it's not equity, it's, it, I don't have to comply with the securities laws. And again, that's that couldn't be further from the truth, because, again, if you remember my cheap definition, anytime you take money from investors where the, the returns are generated by your efforts, you're dealing with a security. And that's true. Even if you have one investor, a lot of people think, hey, there's just one person. It's a joint venture. They gave me the money. I do all the work. And somehow that avoids the securities laws. And even with one investor, again, go back to that test. If you're doing all the work and they're simply writing you a check and going home and sitting on the couch and waiting for you to give them a return, then, uh, then, then you're going to be dealing with the security. So I think that's probably the, the biggest mistake. And of course, first-time syndicators don't even know, you know, I mean, I see this all the time, especially in some of these forums where they have no idea that the securities laws even apply. So they, they don't even think about that because they're thinking, well, I'm just raising money to raise, to buy real estate. You know, why is, why is the SEC involved? So that's, that's probably the number one mistake I see. Uh, and then the other one that's pretty big is, is just not realizing that they're marketing their deals or advertising. And uh, we haven't gone into the specifics and, and maybe we should at, at some point, but, but a lot of the exemptions that we rely on, for example, this 506B is in boy, um, which is what, again, 90, 95% of the people uh, rely on, uh, you are prohibited from advertising and also prohibited from general solicitation. So you cannot go on podcasts or Facebook or uh, go to conferences and start passing out your business plan because that would be considered a general solicitation or advertising. Um, but again, for whatever reason, and maybe it's because there is a new exemption that, that, that 
does allow you to advertise that has a different set of rules. But for some reason, I think people are playing a little fast and loose with the rules and, and posting things on their Facebook page or on their website, not recognizing that those are public mediums. And therefore, to the extent they're talking about a particular deal, they're obviously clearly advertising and soliciting. But what most people don't recognize is even if you don't talk about your current deal or a specific deal, again, the SEC tends to define things very broadly. And one of the things they define broadly is what exactly constitutes an offer when you're doing this marketing. And there's something called conditioning the market. And if the SEC feels that you're quote unquote conditioning the market, then they're going to consider you to be advertising your deals. And conditioning the market essentially means drumming up interest in your business from, from, a, from an investor standpoint. So if you're talking about prior deals, hey, look at, uh, you know, we just closed on this apartment complex and we're already returning 12% cash on cash for investors. That's going to be considered advertising. Um, anything that kind of, uh, even if it's a current deal, you're doing your due diligence and, you, and you're talking about, hey, if you're an investor out there, you know, it's not available yet, but, but reach out to me because, you know, let me show you how I can, I can get you 10, 20% returns. That's going to be considered advertising. And so I see a lot of this on Facebook uh, where people are really crossing the lines. And, and again, they just don't realize that they're engaging in advertising. You know, I one came across my desk the other day, actually, our business partner sent us um, one and asked me, is this considered advertising? And they were basically saying, you know, we just sent out our distributions, uh, which would have been fine. But then they started talking about how much those distributions were. Right. And I told her, I said, nope, Mauricio says, <laughs> in the market. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, and yeah. And so you, you just, there's things that you can't, you can do. So I don't want to focus on what you cannot do. I mean, I always, I'm a big believer on in the concept of, if you want better questions, you need to ask better, better, better. I mean, if you want better answers, you got to ask better questions. And so the question is, well, how do I do this? As opposed to, I can't do this. I can't do that. How do I actually get these information? And the way you do it is essentially, again, don't talk about your deal, your current deal, your past deals, your future deals, returns. Just talk about just in, in essence, add, add value, right? So if you're in the real estate world, talk about why real estate, you know, why multifamily is such a great asset class, why multi, you know, mobile home parks is such a great asset class, why the stock market is such a, whatever it is that you're investing in. So educate your, 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 your followers and your people, that's fine. Talk about your story, how you got involved in real estate and how successful you've been and you know, your, your rags to riches story or whatever, that's fine too. And talk about your company. There's nothing wrong with saying, look, I'm, I'm the founder of this company and we, you know, we help investors um, you know, raise capital or we raise capital for deals. And you can talk about your company. Uh, and so there are ways that you can capture um, leads or capture new people uh, through those legal mechanisms. But then there's a process that you need to go through in order to take them from somebody you just met, right? Somebody just you know, opted into one of your, you know, your offers or whatever, and now you have this name, but you've never met this person. There are about six or seven steps that you need to take in order to take them from a complete stranger to somebody that you have a, a substantive relationship with, which is one of the key uh, definitions from the SEC. Because once you have a substantive relationship with someone, then you can offer them a future deal. You still can't offer them a current deal, because you have to have a pre-existing substantive relationship and that means pre-existing your deal. So once you qualify them and now you know them enough that you, know, you think that they're sophisticated enough that they have the, the knowledge and the, ex the experience to evaluate the merits and the risks of your investment, then you can offer them a future deal. Um, but that's kind of the way you, you kind of capture new people and trying to expand your world because at some point you're gonna run out of friends and family and you're gonna have to go find new people.
So in your opinion, then what are the, let's say two or three most important steps that you need to take? Um, for instance, do you need to document it? How do you record this? How do you yeah. prove that substantial relationship? Yeah. So there's, there's, like I said, six or seven, the top two by far are number one, you want to offer them or provide them with a really detailed questionnaire. And this is not a, not a questionnaire that simply says, Hey, are you accredited? Are you not accredited? Or, you know, here are two or three questions. I'm talking like a really deep dive into their experience, their knowledge, their, obviously their net worth, uh, obviously, you know, are they accredited? Are they not accredited? But something more similar for those of you who have, who have opened up brokerage accounts and, and, and get a margin account or an options account, they ask you about if you want to start trading options, you know, how, how, how many years have you been doing options? You know, what's your experience? You know, how, how, much, how much volume have you done? So sometimes it's really a deep dive so you can figure out their level of ex expertise and experience. Um, so that's kind of step number one. And then the other big step is you want to have some kind of a conversation with them, you know, 15, 20 minutes, either on the phone or if you can meet them for lunch or something. But again, something that, that has a meaningful relationship, you're, you're probably going over that questionnaire. But again, the goal is you're just trying to get information and establishing a good relationship with, with the, uh, your prospect. So you can get to that point where you feel comfortable that you know them well enough that, uh, that there's somebody that you can offer them a deal. And the SEC has been very clear on the fact that there's no magic timeline for this to happen. You know, a lot of people talk about this 30 day cooling off period or the three touch rule or, or not all of that stuff. And the SEC was very clear and said, none of that really matters. It's the quality of the interactions that really matter, not the amount of time. And which makes sense. I mean, think about it. If you end up going, let's just hypothetically say you go on a, you know, on a business field trip with someone and you spend 72 hours with them straight, that's going to be a different type of relationship than if you may be talking to them on email for two years, but you basically just send them an email once a quarter, or maybe there's a little bit of interaction. But clearly, you know, those are two very different um, interactions. And so the SEC just wants the quality. And at some point, you know, you're keeping record of all this, obviously, in whatever CRM, whether it's a, you know, Excel spreadsheet or whatever software you're using uh, to document, you know, when you met this person, you know, every time you make a touch with the person, whether it's on the phone, whether it's email, whether it's on online, you want to make sure you document that because it is going to be your burden to show a regulator, if it ever gets to that point, that you went through these steps and, and established that substantive relationship. But that's kind of your self-certification. At some point, you make the decision, okay, today, this is the day that I say that I've done my job and I've established a substantive relationship with this person. And so then from this day forward, any, any future deals that you come up with, you're allowed to offer that person that, uh, that offering. I love it. And there's so much confusion with that, honestly. Um, the one thing I would advise everybody, if you're looking to build that substantial relationship, really truly send out that questionnaire. A lot of people are going to be hesitant because you're asking deep questions. But if you just explain to them that you're SEC compliant and that you want to keep your butt out of jail and make sure that you're protecting their, their investment dollars and reducing risk, most people are more than happy to fill that out once they understand yeah. the purpose of it. So yeah. I encourage yeah. everybody to do that. So that being said, um, another question that I've always kind of had, let's say somebody has had an issue with the SEC in the past and they want to invest in your deal. You know, I know there's a thing we call it the bad boy clause. I kind yeah. of want to go more into that and how that works and, and what could potentially be at risk if you accept somebody in. Yeah. Well, it's actually not, it's not necessarily somebody that you accept in. It actually has to do more with the, the promoters or the sponsors or the syndicators, whatever term you want to use. Although it does also, it does also apply to investors who end up owning 20% or more of your deal. 
So if you're, if you're syndicating, if you're sponsoring the deal or you're a 20% investor and that's 20% of the entire project, not just of their particular class. So it may end up, you know, they may have to end up owning a little bit more of that, of that particular class. But um, what, what you're prohibited from doing, well, maybe not prohibited, but if you, if you, if you qualify or if you fall into one of these, what, what they call bad acts. Okay. So if you're one of these bad actors and the bad act happened prior to September uh, 2014, sorry, 2013, then we must disclose that. Um, so if you were, for example, let's just hypothetically say you got into some trouble with the, the state of Colorado, let's just say they, they sent you, you know, a violation notice, or there's just something you did a couple, you know, several years ago, and you got sanctioned by the state of Colorado. If that happened before September of 2013, then you need to disclose that quote unquote bad act uh, in your documentation. And if it happened after September 2013, then you're actually barred as a syndicator. You would be barred from um, from raising money. And if you're an investor that is going to own more than 20%, then you would be barred from becoming a part of the company. Uh, and again, that falls into that category number three we talked about earlier, which is that would then become an illegal offering uh, if you have a bad actor in your deal and you either didn't disclose it or you you didn't bar that person because it happened after 2013. You're providing such incredible content for us and, and all of this stuff is just amazingly useful information that every single person needs to know, whether you are raising money for real estate, buying businesses, or just in general to get a good idea of the SEC and what is required, especially if you're looking to invest. You want to make sure that the people that you're working with follow these same kind of laws. So let's kind of talk a little bit more about you, Mauricio. I know you've been in business for quite a long time. So in your opinion, what's the most important element that drives the success of your business? I don't know. We were going to talk about me. I'm always uncomfortable <laughs> talking about me. <laughs> uh, now, for me, it's been very clear. So from the very beginning, um, you know, I decided that what was going to drive my business was adding value. And so that's my, my mission. That's my motto is just, you know, add value, add value, add value. That's why I try and put out a lot of content, um, videos, just educational stuff. That's why I like to go and, um, you know, I do a lot of speaking engagements in front of live audiences. I do obviously a lot of podcasts, but I figured the more value that I can add, the, the you know, sort of the indirect benefit of that is eventually that's going to help my business and it absolutely has. And so I'm always happy to add value because uh, my goal is always to double or triple, you know, the amount of value that I add to the syndication community. So that's by far been my most successful thing that I've been doing, which, which makes sense. Everybody's always uncomfortable talking about themselves, but Marisa, you are a rock star. So I'm going to dive a little bit deeper in here. So <laughs> what is the greatest accomplishment that you've had in your business? Um, I think the greatest accomplishment for me was just, was, you know, taking my business from sort of just the concept and the idea. Cause at some point I was working, you know, I worked for the law firm at the beginning, kind of everybody's dream. Uh, and then just realized that wasn't for me. That was just, you know, just, even though it was a great law firm that I used to work for, I literally was just working 24 seven and didn't have a life. And we see these old partners that, you know, had been there for decades and they were coming in on Sunday mornings and, you know, and, and they had families. And so I made a decision that very early on, that's not what I wanted to do. And then I, ended up working in-house as a general counsel for, I think you guys know the real estate guys, Robert and Russ. Uh, but my, my biggest accom proud accomplishment is just making that jump. It's, it's kind of a scary when, you, when you've got that W-2 mentality and that security of getting a paycheck every, back in those days, we got a paycheck every week. Uh, and then making that jump to sort of becoming a solopreneur or starting your own law firm, that's kind of a scary thing. And that's always been one of the the proudest moments that I have was when I did make that jump and realize, and again, that, that all came back from honestly going back in the early days of reading Robert Kiyosaki's book, 
rich dad poor dad that changed my mentality and changed my uh, my desires to continue working as a W two to and then move over to the sort of the the, the B quadrant. Although I, in all honesty, I got stuck in the S quadrant, which is still on the wrong side of the of the cash flow quadrant. But now I'm making my way into transitioning from the S quadrant over to the to the B the B quadrant and, and sort of building a team under me. I love it. And that's exactly how you create the time and financial freedom um, that you desire. And that's what this podcast is all about, being able to create that. So I think that's really important um, to recognize that if, and if you guys haven't read the Robert Kiyosaki book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it talks about those cash flow quadrants. I highly suggest you read that book, especially from an entrepreneur standpoint. A lot of us get stuck in that S quadrant, which means self-employed. And we're working, 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 we're busy, 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 but we're not really making any traction. At that point, you're essentially a slave to your business, right? So right. what Marisa is really talking about is adding in other people, leveraging other people's time, other people's knowledge to create the time and financial freedom that you so desire, right? Yeah, it's no, it's, yeah, it's no different than, you know, from a syndicator standpoint, obviously just syndicating. I mean, that, that, that in terms of financial freedom, you know, the, the, the beauty about syndication, it, it allows you to make sort of an unlimited amount of money. Really, there's no, there's no limit to how much money you can make uh, and therefore have that financial freedom, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, and, and for me, it's the same thing. There's really no limit that I can do, but, but I do need a team. And, and so for me, the financial freedom comes uh, and, and the, the, the freeing up of time comes with building an organization, building processes and systems in place that allows you to leverage other people's, in my case, other people's knowledge and talents, as opposed to a syndicator who's, not, uh, who's, who's um, leveraging other people's uh, money because they don't have time and therefore they're leveraging your time and your expertise. So it's, it's a win-win. You are absolutely right. And since we're kind of back on that subject, I had one more question for you. Um, from the investor's standpoint, what questions should they be asking their syndicators to make sure that they are working with the right people? I'm sorry, you mean the, the investors themselves about the syndicators? Yeah, yeah. So if yeah. I'm looking to work with a syndicator, what questions yeah. should I ask them to make sure that they are following all the laws? You know, it reminds me, I actually did a report about that. So if, if anybody's interested, I can send them, a, I think it's like the five, the five top things you should be asking. The, the, the number one for, for sure is, is, is track record, right? You want to do, you want to do your due diligence on the syndicator themselves. Um, you know, how, how long have they been, how long have they been syndicating or, you know, if they, if this is the first time syndication, that's not a big deal as long as they have a good track record of, of investing. So you want to, you want to be able to see that this person's done this on their own with their own money. They've been successful. And, and the reason they're doing this now is, is to scale and to, you know, to go do bigger things, but their model has been proven, their expertise has been proven. So I think, um, having, having that uh, due diligence on the syndicator is by far the, the most important thing. Um, number two, part of that, I guess, is you can also ask for some referrals and talk to other people who are who have invested in their deals. Um, again, you just want to get some some verify some some third party verifications that the syndicator uh, is what is doing what they're doing. Um, the other thing you can do is you can check. Uh, you know, every syndicator when they do a deal, they need to follow some procedures, obviously, on the filing side. So we we didn't talk about too much about the requirements, but even though we don't need to register your syndication or your security with the SEC, we do have to file up what's called a Form D. Um, and so that's one thing I would recommend people do is, is look up uh, their, one way to look up their track record is just, just to see the other Form Ds that they've filed, but just to make sure that their current deal has a Form D filed, because if they haven't filed a Form D, yeah, if they're cutting corners on, you know, on that stuff, then you know, where else are they cutting corners? Uh, and then I think the last thing that I would obviously pay attention to is, is, is the level of documentation that you're receiving. 
Um, anytime there's a securities offering, a syndication, especially if there are any non-accredited investors in the deal. So certainly if you're non-accredited, you should be getting a full set of disclosure documents in the form of what's called a private place in the memorandum or a PPM. Um, and if you're not getting that or you're just getting a flimsy little, you know, marketing package and then it's like, you know, sign here and you're in, and that's going to be a red flag that again, they're cutting corners. They're not working with a securities attorney. Um, and they're trying to save a couple bucks, you know, in doing that process. And again, if they're saving a couple bucks there, we're also going to try and save a couple bucks and, and cut corners. You are 1000% correct. I always tell my attorneys and my CPAs, I pay the most for them because they're worth every single penny. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> really and truly. So, cool. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about your time and financial freedom. What are you personally working towards to gain, you know, that time and financial freedom that we all so desperately want and, and the reason why we, most of us get into our own business? Yeah, so I'm, I'm really working on leverage, uh, leveraging, again, other people's time and expertise. So right now, just to be really granular, uh, you know, my next hire here is, is, a, is a personal assistant, um, not a virtual, but an actual real assistant, because that's going to free up my time to go do, you know, what I do best, which, which isn't necessarily sitting in front of my computer and drafting documents, uh, but it's, it's creating the value and, and creating the, the, the processes for, for, my, for my clients. So just, just building the team, that's really kind of big picture for me is just building an organization so that I, you know, if I need to go take off for a week, you know, the business it does okay. Uh, and in fact, I, my, my ultimate goal is to, is to have a business that if I walk away, the business actually continues to grow without me. It's almost like I'm in the way, like Marisa, why don't you get out of the way? Cause we, we do a lot better without you. Uh, and for all these years, I've been a solopreneur where it's just, everything's been me. I've been doing everything. And, and that obviously, as you mentioned earlier, you know, the idea was to have yeah, more time, more freedom, but when you have your own business and you're a solopreneur, uh, you're doing all the work, you're working crazy hours, and sometimes you feel like you're not going in the right direction. And so building a team that you can then rely on and leverage uh, then just frees you up to go do the things that you're really good at and, and move the needle the most. And that's kind of what I'm working on right now. I love it. I think a lot of the listeners are going to be right there with you. And in fact, um, why don't you go ahead and share your contact information if somebody's looking to work with you from a syndication standpoint or if somebody wants to join your team? Yeah, so best way, you can always find me. I'm, all, I'm kind of all over Facebook and website, which is premierlawgroup.net. You, you can find me there. But if you want to send me an email, you can reach me at team, T-E-A-M, team at premierlawgroup.net. Again, team at premierlawgroup.net. And uh, as I was going, as we've been talking today, there's a, there's a couple pieces of uh, content that I think would be um, valuable to your listeners. And we touched upon it a little bit today. So if you shoot me an email, I can send you that video that I did about how to establish that pre-existing um, substantive relationship, those steps that we talked about, that you go from taking a complete stranger to somebody that you can actually offer them their deals. So I can send you a copy of that video. Uh, I've got that, that blog as well about the things you, as, a, as an investor, you know, kind of what are the due diligence items you want to do on your syndicator. Uh, and then I got kind of my flagship article, uh, eight critical steps to practicing safe syndications. And uh, it's obviously self-explanatory. I go through those eight steps and I think that'll be valuable to your listeners as well. So if you want to email me at team at premierlawgroup.net, just write, uh, you know, Margene on the, on the, on the ray line. So I know where you came from and then I'm happy to send that information. Uh, and again, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on premierlawgroup.net. Uh, pretty much Google me around. You should, you should be able to track me down. I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are everywhere. And I want to give you quite a little testimonial while I still have a little bit of time here. Um, I've worked with other securities attorneys in the past, and I've worked with Mauricio. And I tell you, 
Mariso has an exceptional quality of service and he produces these documents fairly quickly, especially when you're in real estate, you have a very short timeline to be able to close. So you need those documents quickly as possible. And not only is Mauricio fair priced, but he's fast and he's good at what he does. So if you're on the fence, I would highly advise getting in touch with him. Um, he's awesome. So well, I appreciate that Martine very much. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for all the help that you provide. Oh, and he watches my social media for me, which is <laughs> more valuable. <laughs> Mauricio, thank you so much for being on the show today. This was just absolutely wonderful uh, and valuable for our listeners. And I really appreciate your time. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on and uh, congratulations on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon, guys. Have a wonderful afternoon and keep those heads up and keep working hard.